Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And we're in a brand new series on wisdom based on the book of James. And it may be that today foolishness gets more attention than true wisdom. The Bible lists wisdom as a key for growing, building, succeeding, and experiencing real life. So keep an ear open on what we can learn about the nature of wisdom and how to get more. The message is called, Whatever Happened to Wisdom? It's time for Reaching for Real Life. As you've been told, we're going to talk about wisdom. That's one of those subjects that it's been weighing pretty heavy on my heart because as I turn on the television and watch news or as I go online and read news or whatever it is, it's like, where's the wisdom? That's the question. Where is the wisdom? In fact, the title of this message is, Whatever Happened to Wisdom? And wisdom's one of those things that's kind of funny because you know it when you see it, right? You can recognize it when you see it. But it's kind of hard to pin down sometimes. It might even be easier to flip and look at the kind of the antithesis or the other side because foolishness. Because, man, we know foolishness, right? And it seems to be on full display. And it's in all different kind of areas of life. We've all seen financial foolishness. Maybe, sadly, we've experienced some financial foolishness. But we watch that person who's clearly spending more than they make and racking it up in debt. And you just go, and you're watching this going, dude, slow down. But it's like, nope, just keeps going as though that's never going to come calling to pay. And it's a bummer when you see a person do it or even a company do it. But then when you see a whole nation do it, that's really a drag. And it's like, do we never think this stuff is going to come home? You know, do we never think this is going to come back and have to be dealt with? And it's just like, nope, we just keep plowing along. Michael Lewis wrote a book called The Big Short. It's being talked about now because there's a movie out by the same name based on his book. And uh, he wrote about the big financial crisis, the housing crash that hit in 2007, 2008, 2009, <clears throat> and just what was behind all that. Because I know a lot of us, if we're not in financial markets, we can hear, okay, housing, you know, um, we hear about junk bonds and, you know, subprime mortgages and all those different kind of things. It was all based on this idea that was actually a fairly good idea at first, that mortgages were safe. Because at least in the America of our past, people paid their mortgages, right? You know, they made a mortgage, they were going to pay their mortgage. And that was a solid investment. Well, if you took bunches of those mortgages and kind of put them all together and then put them into a bond that people could invest in, that'd be a really good investment. Because even if a few mortgages fail, you know, they're not all going to, it's still a very solid investment. And when they started doing that, that was actually probably true. But then they start, there's, and there's all different kinds of reasons people did this. There's, there's pressure, political pressure, to give people who did not qualify for mortgages, give them mortgages. They variable rate mortgages so people could get in and kind of make it work in the beginning, but then... They were going to have to pay as that thing went up. And it's like as those mortgages became easier and easier to get because of that pressure to lower the requirements so that more people could get mortgages, all of a sudden that becomes big business. And so they start, man, mortgages are easy to get. So houses become more valuable and that price goes up in the house. And it's like this is never going to stop. But all of a sudden it starts to become obvious that some of these investments that were put together had some pretty questionable mortgages in them. And as those variable rates go up and as those mortgages begin to fail, 
those investments begin to become worthless and they begin to be unsecured. And you guys know the story. People lost their retirements, pensions, 401ks, houses, homes, entire neighborhoods. Some cities had multiple neighborhoods, empty. Bunch of houses, nobody in them because they just had to walk away from the houses. And of course, it all worked out just fine, had a big happy ending because of the bailout, right? The American taxpayer put it on our credit card. We've got room. We've got, our, our, we got plenty on our credit card. And it's just like, what were we thinking? Financial foolishness all around. How about relational foolishness? Have you ever heard someone talk about a relationship and just go, oh, are you kidding me? You know, I've talked to people involved in an affair. They're in an affair with a married person. This poor girl tell me, oh, he, he and his wife, they're not a good match. He's going to leave her and he's going to be with me. I'm like, are you kidding me? You want to be the wife of someone that you know one thing about them for sure, they will screw around on their wife. And you want that job. Well, not when you say it like that. You're such a downer. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry to rain on your little parade. Foolishness in business. Oh, no, no, I'll be a partner with them or we'll do business with them because they'll never screw us the way they did everybody else. No, 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 they're different this time. Are you kidding me? Foolishness in parenting. You know, it's cute when they're two. <laughs> Do you hear how he told Grandpa no? <laughs> it's so cute. It's not cute when they're 20. And now they're having to kind of reap the consequences of that whole thing. Political foolishness. This drives me nuts. Listen to speeches. Oh, man, they sound great. This good. You know they're like a public figure and have been in the public for 10 years, and you know all the stuff they've done, right? Yeah, but it's going to be different this time. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter. Are you kidding me? But no, no, but that speech sounded so good. Makes you nuts. The foolishness that's just everywhere. It's rampant. And here's my thing. I believe most people don't want to be fools. They don't want to be fools. In fact, I think most people, if they really understood wisdom, would want wisdom. I mean, wouldn't you like to know you have the wisdom to know kind of when you're dealing with someone to know, is this a person I can trust or is this a person I shouldn't trust yet? Just the wisdom to see through kind of the talk and the, the introductory stuff to know I can trust this person and I should walk in unity with this person. Or I can't trust them yet, so I should be careful, whether that be business or relationship or whatever. Wisdom to know that. How about the wisdom to know if an investment is really good and it's going to reach healthy financial goals and it's going to be sound? You know, moving past the prospectus and the portfolio, but kind of just getting into and saying, having the wisdom to say, wait, this is a sound investment that will help us reach healthy financial goals. That's a good thing. Wouldn't you like to know you have, how about parenting? There's, you know, you can find schools of thought to tell you whatever. And there's diametrically opposed ideas. How'd you like the wisdom to know, yeah, if I approach parenting this way, then I know I will see the good things in my child's life that I want them to experience. Because every parent I've talked to loves their kids. They want good things for them. How'd you like to know you have the wisdom to say, boy, if I do these things, that will give my kids the best chance possible to win and to be in a good place. So I think most of us would like wisdom. Now, the question is, where do we get wisdom? Used to be, we would ask grandma and grandpa because they had lived a lot of years, they'd seen a lot of things, and they clearly had wisdom. Now we ask Siri. Siri, should I invest in this? Go for it. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. We don't even know where to go for wisdom. 
The scripture says that wisdom leads to good things. And this is a premise of this whole conversation. Wisdom leads to really good things. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Blessed, or happy, another translation says, full. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. There's a huge lottery out there right now that people are talking about. One of the biggest ever. Talked to a guy last night, he had a lottery ticket, and you know, he's like, hey, I'm gonna win it. <laughs> we promise, preacher, we'll tithe. <laughs> so I prayed for him to win, and then <laughs> No, but then I secretly thought, dude, you know a lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math, right? And what Solomon is telling us here is this wisdom, I don't care if you won that lottery, wisdom is way better. It's worth more than the silver, than the gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom is awesome. And we want to gain wisdom. Now, before we get into what the Scripture really says about wisdom and digging down, uh, I want to look at some wisdom killers, okay? These are things that will always kill wisdom, okay? The first is impulse. Impulse kills wisdom. Even if you have wisdom, if you are a person prone to giving in to impulse, okay, rather than stepping back, considering, wisdom will have a hard time. Because impulse, you know, oh, I got to do this. I got to have that. I got to go. Just slow down and wait for wisdom. A second is just ignorance, and sometimes that just comes from upbringing. You know, just sometimes upbringing, some of, us, some of us were raised great. Some of us were not raised great. Some of us were not raised with wisdom, or parts were wisdom. Like, I look back at my own upbringing, and there were some things that I was really taught wisdom in. There were other things that I was not. And I, when I began to follow Jesus, and I began to read his word, I began to say, whoa, I'm going to have to do that very different than the way I was taught, or what the example that was set for me, or what I was given. I had to depart. And, you know, that's not always easy because we were way we're raised it's kind of just becomes habit it's how we do things but sometimes if you just kind of keep doing what you've always been doing you're just going to keep getting what you've always been getting a third is groupthink groupthink okay there's a lot of talk about this in business circles it's a pattern of thought characterized by self-deception and, and it's talking about a group of people forced manufacture of consent and conformity to group values and ethics so it's like this pressure to kind of just agree with what the group says, okay? It's like, you know, they say, well, they can't be wrong, right? We don't know who they are, but they, they can't be wrong because they say. And it's kind of this thing. One of the biggest examples of groupthink in our culture is political correctness. Political correctness is ultimate groupthink. And, you know, I don't, I don't even care where you are on the things that are kind of labeled political correctness. Some of those may be wisdom. There may be some wisdom in some of those things. But some of them may be not and definitely are not. And here's the deal. When you know I can't even have the conversation because it's, quote, politically incorrect, I can't even ex- discuss it. We can't even look at the facts. We can't even have a serious discussion. Then you know big-time groupthink has taken over. You know, when you, you kind of want to discuss it, well, is that really true? Let's talk about the facts. And instead of talking about the facts or talking about the actual issue at hand, you are assaulted and your character is assaulted. You're a bad person for questioning. Yeah, that's, that's groupthink. And it always kills wisdom. Hurry and stress. Hurry and stress will always be wisdom killers. Whenever you're given in and being rushed, and by the way, those are both plenty plentiful in our culture. Ample supply of hurry and stress 
and they are wisdom killers. So just as we talk about this, just be aware of those things that will actually hinder us in our pursuit of wisdom. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church. Reflections on Wisdom, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Matama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And back to the message, Whatever Happened to Wisdom from the book of James? This is Reaching for Real Life. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. If you have the notes, we have notes in the bulletin. You can take notes or you can use our notes app. It's a great resource to be able to take notes and keep them and have those on an app. Whatever, turn to the book of James. We're going to start in chapter one uh, in your paper Bible, your electronic Bible. James has been called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament because it has so much practical wisdom. Some have called it a how to guide for Christian living. James, there were four prominent James in the New Testament, four different people called James. We're not sure exactly who wrote this because he doesn't identify himself exactly, but most scholars think, and traditionally, this book is attributed to James, the brother of Jesus. It's called James the Just, and he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Simon Peter. And so he led the church. And he tells us who he's writing to in verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. He's talking to Christian Jews who had, have, had to flee from Jerusalem and Palestine because of persecution. And now they're spread out all over the region. And so this letter he writes of practical wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it is dispersed among people so they can grow in wisdom. And he starts with kind of a tough idea for most of us. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy. Now, you have to understand, we know that scripture if we've been in church at all, you know, um, count it all joy when you face diverse temptations or trials of various kinds. And so we go, oh, yes, Lord, that's so sweet. You have to understand, the first people who read that, that's really counterintuitive and kind of like, what? We're, we're, we've left our homes because of persecution. Count it all joy. Now, actually, I want to talk about that a little more next week. But he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So now, understand these guys are thrown a little bit, and now here's what he introduces. Almost like, if that's confusing to you, here's the answer. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What a great passage. Now, first of all, it's for those who lack wisdom. 
okay, if you lack wisdom. Now, let me just say to you, if you're here and you're going, yep, I lack wisdom, I'd like to do this, just know something, you've got a little wisdom, okay? Just the fact that you know you lack wisdom, because let me tell you something about fools, they never know they lack wisdom. They think they got it. You know, they think, I'm good, no, don't tell me, I'm all good, you know? If you are here saying, okay, I know there's some wisdom I need, that is the first step in wisdom. Socrates is quoted as saying, true wisdom comes to each of us when we realize how little we understand about life, ourselves, and the world around us. Fools think they got it. They think they know. So, at least you are in that place of saying, boy, I lack wisdom. I'd like some wisdom. And the good news is, he says, God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. So you can ask for this and know God is there, he gives generously, and he is ready to answer this prayer. He goes on to verse 6. Now, this is important. This is going to kind of lead us for the rest of our conversation. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, first of all, you go, well, wait a minute. But if you let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts isn't, shouldn't expect to receive anything. He, understand something. You're asking God for wisdom. You're asking for wisdom. That requires faith. One, that there is a God. Two, that what he has to say will lead to good things and so that I will actually respond to it. So he, it's very practical in saying if you ask without faith, it, one, why would you even ask? And two, why would you follow the wisdom? So there really is a serious issue here, but, but I want you to note that idea of the double-minded man, because that's very important. The double-minded man, because he's wavering between two opinions, and that's really significant. Flip over to James 3, because he talks more about wisdom in chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, and he's going to give us kind of these two things that the double-minded man could waver between. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, let me unpack a little bit of that for us, because there's some significant stuff here. First, the, the word he uses for wisdom, well, for wise is the word sophus, and wisdom is sophias, okay? And that word, the meaning that he's talking about is moral insight and skill in the practical issues of life. That's what we're talking about. The dictionary defines wisdom as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Having understanding. It's like knowledge is something that, and I read a great quote here, knowledge enables us to take something apart, but wisdom allows us to put things back together. And particularly the wisdom we're talking about in a way that God's truth relates practically to daily life. That's really significant. Real wisdom, I think, and it's important we note this, goes beyond just the moral issues of right and wrong. Because I think sometimes that's kind of the basic. It is a type of wisdom, but when you get beyond just right and wrong, and now you're having to make decisions between something that is wise and unwise. It may not be illegal, immoral, even unbiblical. But the question is, is it wise or unwise? The most basic level is just right and wrong. And I think even little kids know, hey, I probably shouldn't take that from another kid. So that, that's 
a basic level. But as we go along, you start having to make wise choices when there might be a couple of choices that are okay, but we want to know which one is wise. It's significant. A second thing that I want to point out that James makes real clear, wisdom is displayed through conduct. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So we're not just talking about knowledge, right? It's when you actually act on it and you do something. We've all known really smart people who make really dumb decisions, right? It's like, dude, you know, you're a brain surgeon. Come on. You know, you're a genius. You're the best one through when we were in college. or You went through grad school quicker than anybody else. What's going on? Why are you making such dumb decisions? You're really smart. Well, just because he's really smart doesn't mean he has wisdom. It's totally different. A very different understanding. Wisdom is displayed through conduct and always impacts our conduct. And as I mentioned, James contrasts two different kinds of wisdom here. He talks about one, he describes it as earthly, unspiritual, or fleshly, and demonic. And remember, our enemies are, you know, the world, the flesh, and our spiritual enemy, Satan. So he's really talking about that. There is a wisdom that just comes from the enemy, or that is actually in the realm of the enemy. And he contrasts that, so there's the earthly, unspiritual, and demonic versus that wisdom that comes from above. He says the, the world's wisdom is rooted in strife, envy, selfish ambition, creating disorder, versus, or opposed to, the wisdom from above, which he describes as pure, peaceable, gentle, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, bearing good fruit, reaping a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. So what I want you to write down this morning, and I want to just really say and challenge you with, is that the only true wisdom is God's wisdom. The only true wisdom is God's wisdom. Every other wisdom in time will fail. And some of you may get, you know, get, want to give me some pushback on that, and that's okay. You might go, well, but I know a guy who doesn't know God at all, but he makes some really wise decisions. Well, just because someone makes wise decisions, they might even be aligning with godly wisdom. That's certainly possible. There are some people who don't believe in God, whatever, but they've been taught some things of godly wisdom. And that's great. They will actually see good fruit from those wise decisions. But there's other times you might go, well, this guy, he's a great businessman. He's really shrewd, and he made some wise decisions in his business. But man, he's ruthless. I just want to say to you, that type of wisdom will always fail in time. There is a wisdom that might yield what looks like good fruit for a time, a season. But the only true wisdom is God's wisdom. Listen to what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 1, where he describes this. He's beginning verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross, or the gospel, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In other words, the best that man has to offer in his own natural fleshly wisdom is going to pass. Verse 20, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So there are these two types of wisdom, but only one is real and lasting, and that is God's wisdom. You know, there are those seasons in life, those places where conventional wisdom and God's wisdom collide. And you know them when you get to them. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, that can be really challenging. I remember when we started this ministry. It started, even before we planted the church, as an outreach in the inner city. 
had a ministry. We still have it called Real Life Ministries. But so we're going to go. We started one of the housing projects here in San Antonio. We were ministering to the poor. And God began to speak to us and lay on our hearts. I don't want you to raise funds to support your ministry. I want you to walk by faith. And it's like, okay, but in all of the how-tos on how to start a nonprofit to do ministry to the poor, they've all talked about how you need cash flow and you've got to keep a steady cash flow. And God's like, yeah, I know, but how about listen to me? I want you not to fundraise because I want to show you I will take care of you. And it's like, okay, God, that's awesome. That sounds so good, man. It's so, so much like what you would say, God. <clears throat> but we got these kids and they're really addicted to those three squares. So how's that going to work? I'm going to meet all your needs. You do what I ask you to do. I'm going to meet all your needs. Okay, that's awesome, God, and I believe that. But okay, um, so, like, so I can budget. How much am I going to make? You know, just for the budget and stuff, you know. I got my Dave Ramsey book here, God. I just need to, you know. And, and he's like, oh, you're going to make 100%. 100% of everything you need. Okay, okay, that's great, God. That is exciting. Um, so when I get paid, how much will I have? And Laura's like, oh, you'll have enough. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, I'm obviously being a little bit light, but that's kind of exactly what it was like. And we saw God do amazing things as he met our needs. And we discovered something. We discovered God was more interested in raising faith than in raising funds. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Reflections on Wisdom, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue please find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.